Well, good afternoon, and again, welcome to you all. Uh, If you are a visitor with us, let me just remind you, we've got some visitor slips at the back if you want to fill them in. Then we can keep you in touch with what's going on at at the church here. You can also let us know how we can pray for you. We do like to pray for our visitors. We think that's important. And so uh, do feel free to let us know how we can pray for you. And uh, that would be an encouragement. Well, I don't know about you. Well, as you can see, we're back in the study of Ephesians. We've had a break for a couple of weeks over Christmas and New Year. But we're back into the study called Captivated, which is our look at Ephesians and Uh, After weeks of hard labour, we have managed to work our way down to verse 15. Well done, everyone. Uh, 2016 is going to be a good year, I understand. We could be sort of around about chapter 5 by then, who knows. Um, So it's good to be back in in that and to be back into that study. And this section is really talking about prayer. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this week and the next couple of weeks to think about Prayer. We're basing it from this part of Ephesians, but we'll be going down a few little rabbit tracks as well. And I don't know about you, but uh, I think that everybody prays. Um, you might say, well, you know, some people aren't Christians, that kind of thing. Well, people from other faiths pray as well. And my personal view is that however much of an atheist someone is, just at that moment before the car crashes, or at that time when they're on a plane and you're going through really heavy turbulence, particularly when you've had sort of the kind of headlines you've had this week, they're praying. Trust me, they will be having a prayer of some kind. Um, and yet we often have prayers about, uh, questions about prayer, don't we? We think about, well, you know, who am I praying to? Does it, does it work? How does it work? What should I pray? All those kind of questions. And those are some of the things we're going to be looking at today and the next, the next couple of weeks. So appropriately, let me just pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get into the study. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word, for your scripture. We thank you that it is so full of uh, truth and instruction and uh, comfort and so many things for us. Uh, we pray that you would open it up to us now and make it clear for us, Lord. Um, put me in the background, Lord. Put me behind the cross. No one needs to hearing about Ian Fenton. and everyone needs to hear about you, what you've done, what you're going to do, and what you want to tell us. Amen. Well, again, let me just give you a bit of background on Ephesians, just as a bit of a reminder. So it's written by the Apostle Paul, round about uh, AD 60, so, so just coming up on 30 years after Jesus died. And he's writing it from prison uh, in Rome. Uh, But he had been in Ephesus, he'd been in Ephesus probably about four years before he wrote this book, so he does know the church in Ephesus. Uh, And it appears that what's happened is he's giving us a clue here in verse 15, if you look there in verse 15, he's giving us a clue about the fact that someone's perhaps come to Paul and told him about what's happening in Ephesus, ever since I heard about your faith in in the Lord Jesus. Um, So it sounds as though someone's come and told him perhaps what's happening in Ephesus, maybe some new things happening in Ephesus over the past sort of four years since he's left. Uh, Perhaps the church has grown in numbers or grown in their discipleship, we we don't know. But certainly Paul's feeling very uh, encouraged uh, and certainly very uh, happy. And maybe that's the reason at which he's writing the letter, the motivation for writing the letter at that point. 
And as we've seen over the last couple of months, Paul takes verse 3 to 14 to really talk about the, what would we say, the, the riches of the Christian faith, the, the, the goals towards which the, the church is, is pressing on. And he's writing about how people have been, been chosen and how they've been saved and how they've been... Uh, he writes about the glory of God and the power of God and the, and the Holy Spirit and, and Paul's just writing about so much sort of good theology that, he, that he's packing into those first, first through few verses of, of Ephesians. We're going to talk a lot about uh, theology today and by theology, when I say the word theology, all I'm saying is uh, the things of God, uh, discussions about God, just finding out more about God. Um, but a lot of that stuff is very deep, a very rich theology. Uh, it is um, talking about what, who God is about what he's, what he's done for us. And so today when we're getting into verse 15 we're really seeing Paul then make make his first sort of application of that. So he's, he's got all that great theology and if you remember he's poured it out in this big one long sentence where he's just, the words are just falling over themselves because he's so excited and he's got to get it all out. And then he, here he's going to actually apply that in terms of prayer. So we can see there in verse 15, for that reason, some, some translations say therefore, ever since I heard about you. Whenever, whenever we see in the Bible therefore, we need to understand what it's there for. Uh, and in this case, Paul's referring back to all the stuff in the, in the previous sort of verses 3 to 14. Uh, Paul's saying, look, all this theology is what's motivating me. It's motivating me to thank God for you Christians in Ephesus. For other churches as well, he uses the same phrase uh, at the beginning of the letter uh, to the Colossians and, and other places as well. Um, because the lives of the Christians in Ephesus are, are proof of the theology he's just been talking about. He, he's, he's saying, look, I've heard about your faith, the way you love the saints. So that, that's what I'm saying, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not just the idea of, of faith that's sort of a, a head thing and staying in your, in your head. It's how it's working out as well. That's why he's talking about the, the love for the saints. Uh, the love for the saints is how the, these folks are working out their faith. A guy called Peter O'Brien, he was pointing out that, that that love is for all the saints. So it's crossing... Uh, ethnic boundaries. We know that there's a lot of tensions in some of the churches between Jews and Gentiles. It's crossing boundaries of gender and between rich and poor and all those kind of things. It is for all the saints that have come to faith. Now, I don't know what you think about that. I, I think it would be very hard to express that kind of love if you were not actually plugged into a church. How can you, uh, how can you do that if you're I think that's a bit early. Um, if you had, if you're not plugged into a church, how can you express that love? How how can you love each other, love the other saints, if you're not plugged into a church? That's why we emphasise church membership and those kind of things. It's the best way for us to love all the saints through joining a church and through uh, uh, investing in each other's lives. Without that, it's going to be very hard to do it. Let's keep going. That's verse 15. Verse 16, Paul starts talking about his, his prayer life. He's, he's reporting on what he prays. He's expressing that 
theology, but not as some some uh, dry retelling of his prayer life. You can you can sense his his passion as he talks about it. He's expressing it. He's, it's in the, you know, words like the riches of his glorious inheritance. This isn't a, a dry, boring phrase. Or, or, or his earnestness when he prays. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Or, or, or the beginning of verse 17, I keep asking. Uh, and and, and he, he does keep asking. What does he keep asking? He keeps asking the Ephesians. Well, would know all the stuff in verses 3 to 14 better and better. Let's face it, because they are Christians, because we know they've come to faith, they already have some of that understanding, probably most of that understanding. They know that stuff. Uh, But he prays that they would know it more and more and better and better. Uh, Also notice that he mentions all the three parts of the Trinity there. He talks about, uh, he prays to the glorious Father, who he acknowledges is the God of the Son, Jesus Christ. And he prays to send the the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that the Ephesians might know God better. So even in in this prayer, he's bringing out the idea of the Trinity and and including that. Um, And and Paul really is trying to get over in 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 uh, these couple of verses how he wants them to know, through the Holy Spirit, God better and better. He prays that the, the Spirit would give them wisdom and revelation as the ways in which they're going to understand that stuff. As we experience more and more of this great theology and these great truths. Uh, and I think that's the kind of prayer that God is always pleased to, to answer. Uh, he's praying God's thoughts after him, so to speak. I'm going to look at that phrase again in a little while. Um, don't turn there, but in James, in James chapter 1 verse 5 it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So we know what God thinks about that idea of praying for wisdom. He, know, he knows it's the kind of prayer that we, he delights to answer. He, he likes to answer. And then in, in, in verse 18, uh, Paul expands upon, upon that idea, like we sang a moment ago, that they would, uh, God would enlighten the eyes of their heart. It's an unusual phrase, uh, the eyes of your heart, Well, your heart doesn't have eyes. The best way I can capture it is to say it's not about just understanding God in, in an academic kind of way. It's about understanding God uh, and feeling the, the experience, feeling the impact of God on our, on our lives, in our hearts, deep down. Uh, without that, it, it's hard for the real impact of that theology to come through. And the verse gives us some kind of idea of the impact. Um, he says, we know the hope to which he has called you, the hope of an eternal life. Paul prays that. Already in verse, the stuff he set out in verses 4 and verses 7, he prays for the knowledge of the, of the riches of his, his glorious inheritance. He's already set that out in verse 5. And that's an incredible idea, isn't it? Isn't that an incredible idea, the idea that we are adopted as God's children? I mean, not only is Christ, Christ 
come to save us. Not only, not only did he live a perfect life, not only was he born of a virgin, not only was all that proved for us when he rose from the dead, not only has he risen physically into heaven, not only has he sent the Holy Spirit to, to illuminate a scripture and to dwell inside of us, not only all that, but God has, has adopted us, adopted us as his children, not, not in a way that sometimes perhaps earthly adoption works where you're sort of like, okay, what kids are, and that sort of stuff. No, this is, a, this is an adoption from before the beginning of time. So that in verse 4 and verse 11, this is from the before the beginning of time. This is a rich inheritance. Not rich in terms of like cash or rich like your Christmas pudding might have been rich. Not that way, but this is something beyond value, beyond price. Something that cannot be bought because it never would be sold. Who would not want that? Who would not want an inheritance like that? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I have a question for you. If that inheritance is the kind of thing we're talking about, this this adoption by God, the fact that in in so many senses we are are co-heirs with Christ, the Christians are brothers and sisters who receive those, the blessings that, that in, way, in some ways are his. If that's that kind of inheritance, why would you not want that? Why would you not want that kind of life? It, it might be that for you, your, your lifestyle is so precious to you that you don't feel you want to change it. If you... But it is a lifestyle that is only going to lead you to an eternal separation from God? Is that something you're so committed to that the things that you do and you see and you experience is that of greater value than that inheritance? Do you feel perhaps that you're worthless or that you cannot possibly be accepted by a God because of what you've done or because of perhaps what you didn't do? None of us are good enough. None of us should wait until we are good enough because we will wait forever. We will wait forever to come to God. That's what the word grace means. We say that God gives us grace and grace means that being treated better than we deserve. That's why Paul breaks out into this long sentence in verse 3. He's just overwhelmed by the, by the glorious grace given to us. Whatever your reasons are for, for desiring or, or believing or thinking that you are, are not worthy, please put them aside. Those reasons are flawed. You are travelling down a path that will lead to an eternity in torment. Please put your trust in Jesus today. Yes, there is a cost to that. Yes, it means that you, you will naturally want to change your lifestyle. It's not, it doesn't become a, a, a burden to you. You want to change your lifestyle naturally as a result of the trust you've placed in Christ. Some of your friends may be like, oh hey, you've you've become strange all of a sudden, you've become Christian and and may think you're a nut job or or whatever, but but they may even resent you and hate you, I don't know. But, But any price you pay is worth it. Any price you pay is returned to you. Jesus said this himself. He said this in Matthew chapter 19. He said, anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much 
and will inherit eternal life. Today is the day of salvation. Put your trust in Christ. You will not regret it. Let's continue looking at this. Verse 19 continues to link his theology to his prayers for the Ephesians. He prays that they would have the knowledge of the incomparably great power that God has. And Paul, Paul points out the ways, some of the ways in which that works out. That power was in action when Christ was raised from the dead. It's in action in our lives when we, when we work our lives out as Christians. Um, but all of these things are being prayed not primarily for their own sake because they are good things and they are good things but because they're going to allow the Ephesians they're going to allow Christians to, to experience God and know God better that's the reason the primary reason he's praying for that, that revelation and that wisdom that we might know God better and, and many of these Ephesians are, are newly converted folks they're living in a city they're, they're surrounded by other religions other pressure and they're, they're surrounded by, by what they call pagans. You know, they're, they're trying to keep their faith going. You know, they're, they're, Paul knows them. He, but he's not, he's not at the end of a phone because they don't have phones. He's not at the end of Skype because they don't have Skype. He's not at the end of FaceTime because they don't have FaceTime. He's not just down the street. So, so, so Paul's praying, that, that, trying to build them up. You know, if they can get all this knowledge inside them, hopefully their faith is going to be, be stronger and stronger. Um, and hopefully their eyes and their heart will be opened and they'll listen to God's, God's word as we were thinking about when we looked in Zechariah last week with understanding of knowledge. And as I was saying, you know, the Christians in Ephesus would have already possessed this to a certain extent, but Paul's praying that, that we would recognise the fullness of those gifts, the, the depths of those gifts. It's like, having, it's like having, yeah, okay, you know, we've got the most beautiful artwork in the world and we've put it in the cupboard under the stairs and we're not looking at it you know it depends what you like whether you like the artwork or not I suppose but you know assuming you like the artwork and, and you just, you're not getting the fullness of it you're not getting the riches of it you're not, you're not appreciating everything you put it under the stairs where Harry Potter's staying or whatever you know and, and, and you can't get that stuff out Paul wants us to use and explore and experience this well, I think what be hard with this. So, so let's think for a minute about not necessarily about the prayer, but what's underpinning the prayer. And there's a there's an assumption here, and I and I hope you get the sense from the passage that Nick read for us that that Paul Paul is captivated by God. He is absolutely captivated by God, by what he has done, what he's, who he is. And he can't contain it. It all bubbles over. The heights and the depths and the riches of just, just pour out into his, his prayers. And I want to think about that in a, in a couple of different ways. Firstly, I think that that captivation that Paul feels, uh, it motivates his prayer. It, 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 it's why he's praying. Uh, Paul set out, we've called this the series Captivated, Paul set out verses 3 to 14, this captivated vision of, 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 of the, the basis of the Christian faith. And then in verse 15 he's saying, he's saying, hey, hey, you know what, you know all that stuff? You know all that stuff we talked about, verses 3 to 14? 
I've heard all that stuff is true of you. It's true of you in Ephesus. And that's really brilliant. I mean, isn't that fantastic that we know this stuff? And not only that, but it, it's, it's going to result in a great love for each other that you've, that you've shown of, I've heard about you. And, and I think that's just brilliant. I'm really chuffed about it, you know. And it just, it just bubbles over and flows over and he, and he can't help himself. And so I think that the, the, the idea of, of that theology pulls just, it drives him to, to pray. It drives him to just thank God and to pray to God. I think the second way in which, in which the, it impacts him is that, is that the content of what Paul prays is very, is very, let's call it theologically rich. There's a lot of theology in what he prays. There's a lot of stuff that you'd find elsewhere in the Bible in what he, he prays. Uh, look, again, look again there. He, he prays for... for faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He prays for, about love for the saints. It, we've already said he's, God, he's, he's included the, the idea of the Trinity in there. He talks about revelation from God. He talks about experiential faith, about eternal hope, about adoption, about uh, the glory of God. All, all great stuff that you will find elsewhere in the Bible. Many of those are themes for, for many parts of, of uh, many chapters and many letters in, in the Bible. But they're all included in, in what he prays. And if you're not familiar with any ideas or any of the things I've just said to you are strange, please just ask us questions about that at the end or, or send us a text. We'd love to think, talk about some of those things more with you. But thirdly, uh, this sort of captivated vision also informs Paul's prayers because he asks for, for more of it. Uh, he asked that, that, that they would have more wisdom and more revelation to know more about God. You know, however much you know God, Paul is saying, let's know him more, let's love him more, let's work at it more, as much as, as you can get. Uh, I, thinking back to my O-level economics, hands up, any, now I know there's someone studying economics at university here, hands up economists in the room. Come on, own up. There are economists in the room. Who did a GCSE, GCSE economics? More than... There's only Denise, apparently me and Denise. Okay, well, in the... Uh, ask us all your economics questions later then because you won't have a clue whether we're right or wrong. So, um, in the economics, there's a law called the law of diminishing returns. I don't know if you've ever heard about that. But the idea of the law of diminishing returns works something like this. Let me give you an example. Say you're thirsty. Okay, say you're thirsty and you, you have a glass of water and you have the first glass of water. The first glass of water, you have. I should have got a glass of water to do this, shouldn't I? I don't bother. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, that was great. I was so thirsty, I really needed that glass of water. And someone gives you another glass of water. You know, oh great, thank you very much. Still thirsty. Oh, that's, that's good. Someone gives you a third glass of water, you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm not quite as thirsty as I was, but, you know, thanks very much, I appreciate it. You know, you're getting a bit bloated, you know, like when you've had a lot of water. They give you a fourth glass of water, and you're like, uh, yeah, okay, you know, let's go, thanks very much. Yeah, and then you're thinking, oh, I'll have to go to the loo in about half an hour. Then. And, uh, and then someone gives you, a th- they give you a fifth glass of water, and you're like, I, I don't really want this, but uh, I'll be polite. Okay, but, oh, you know, I won't go in half an hour, I'll be in about ten minutes. And then you know, they give you a sixth glass of water, and you're like, I don't want it. 
And the seventh, you start feeling a bit ill round about glass eight and that sort of stuff, and they give you glass nine and you feel like, forget about going to the loo, I might have to go and throw up somewhere. You know, and and, glass ten, glass eleven, that's called the law of diminishing returns. What it says is that as you go along, the next one matters less and less to you and it does less and less for you. It meets less and less of your needs to the point where you're actually getting things and it starts to detract from you. It starts to hurt you in that way. The law of diminishing returns does not apply to the Bible. It does not apply to God. The one thousandth glass is as great as the first glass. Every bit we can get out of it, every every piece of of, of, of uh, instruction and teaching, every content, every piece of it is worth it. Every piece is of value and of, and of great importance. Every even word has, has incredible value to us. And so the more we can spend thinking about it, the more we can spend reading about it, the more we can be taught on it, the more we can listen to it, the better. It's all good. It, it never stops going away in that way. And that's why Paul says, and he's praying for, that wisdom and revelation, so you may know him better. So we might know him better in that way. Well, let's start thinking about uh, how we might apply some of that truth, some of the stuff there we've just been talking about, how we might take Paul's example of prayer and apply it to the way, way in which we pray. Uh, first thing to say is, is that on any kind of this point of the sermon, we have to be really careful to avoid legalism. Okay, It would be really easy for me to stand up and say, we need to pray seven times a day for at least six minutes, and we're going to include this, 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 and this, and if you don't, you're a sinner. Okay, no. Okay, be really careful. Anything I'm saying to you now are uh, good ideas, things that you might take away, things that would encourage us. There's lots of different ways to pray. Uh, there are lots of different things, we could, lots of different ways uh, we could play, lots of different timings, that kind of stuff. So this sermon and the next couple of messages as well, please, 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 I will say that to you several times. Don't get caught up in legalism. Okay, legalism means laws and rules that don't matter. Okay, so, you know, don't get caught up in that way. Okay, we don't want to get caught on a some kind of religious treadmill like a little hamster, you know, in... And you're going around, you know, and you just got to, oh, got to keep going, got to keep going, got to keep going. It's not like that. Okay. We're saved by grace, not by works. Yeah. If you're a Christian here, we are saved freely, not because we play 3.2 times every day or whatever it may be. But having said that, there is some guidance here that we need to pay attention to and which we might find useful. So, so uh, I want to suggest to you that we we can pray like Paul did because of the theology that we have, because of what we believe about God, because of who we believe he is, because of what we believe he has done for us. It would be very appropriate for us to to use that to to fuel our prayer, to fuel uh, the reasons why we pray. If you meditate on the death of Christ on the cross for our sins, yes, it's the kind of reason why you might just want to spend some time praying why I might want to burst out into prayer um, 
you know, that, that he talks about the hope, Paul talks about the hope we have. If we think about the hope that we have of eternal life, there's a great reason to, to just start praying. On, uh, talks about the inheritance that we have with Christ. That inheritance, there's a, a great reason how, how Christ is building his church. These are all great things that we might go, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what we're doing. Um, if you're starting to feel even just a little bit captivated by who God is, and what he's done, use that to, to fuel your desire to pray, to stir you up in that, in that sort of way. Uh, as we were talking about with Paul as well, I want to suggest to you that, that like Paul, it's great to pray what the Bible says. It's great to pray scripture and theology, the contents of the Bible. We've seen Paul doing that here and he does it in, in other places. He's repeating his theology as, as he's praying. It's not that he doesn't know this. He, yes, he already knows it. We're pretty sure the Ephesians know it. He says they've come to faith and so they, they know this stuff or, or certainly most of it, if not all of it. So, so why is he doing that? Well, he, he's repeating the content of the Bible back to God. Well, God knows the Bible. So why is he doing that? It, it's, what he's doing is it, it's helping our hearts to align with God's heart. It's helping us to line up together in that way. Um, it's aligning our, the things that perhaps we're asking for with the things that God would like us to ask for. And so it's lining everything up together. Um, this, is what I was, this is what I meant earlier when I said Paul prayed God's thoughts back to him. Okay, we're praying back to him things that God has already thought about, things that are already on God's heart. Um, just turn with me really quickly to the book of John, if you've got your Bible, uh, John chapter 17. And we're going to have a look at when Jesus does exactly the same thing. This is John chapter 17. I've no idea what page that is on the church Bible. If you guys can figure it out. Um, so this is, uh, this is Jesus uh, praying uh, for himself at this point. Let me just read to you a few of the verses here. Uh, after Jesus said this, he looked, to, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Even just stopping, stopping there. See how much, how much theology is packed into that one short prayer. He's talking about uh, Christ being given authority over everyone. He's talking about the meaning of eternal life talking about how the Son glorifies the Father, how the Father glorifies the Son, how the Father sent the Son, how there's only one true God, and it is what he would have called Jehovah, and on and on and on. Uh, so Jesus himself does, follows that idea of, of praying for uh, specific parts of Scripture, specific things in the Bible, uh, as, as part of his prayer, prayer to God. Praying God's thoughts thoughts back to him uh, but it, it also does something else I think it, it also helps us to understand 
exactly how, how prayer works. And prayer does work. Um, exactly how prayer works. Because prayer does not change God's mind. Okay, just want you to think about that for a minute. Okay, prayer does not change God's mind. How can it do? You know, God, God is sovereign. He orders the world in accordance with, with, his, with his own will. Uh, he uh, has been there from the beginning of time. The world is planned out in front of him. How can, what are we doing? We're putting our arm, you know, his hand up behind his back saying, come on God, you know you want to do that. Oh yeah, it doesn't work in that, in, in that way. Um, we sometimes believe that if we pray uh, really hard or use really big words or we pray very often that we might get what we, we want. Well, well, if that's true, well, what happens if there's two farmers in fields next to each other, and one's in one field praying for rain, because he's growing rice or whatever, and the other one's praying that it doesn't rain because he wants to harvest his lettuces or whatever. You know, what, who wins? Is that what it is? Is it this question of who prays harder, or who prays more often, or... Uh, oh, it's rained over there because uh, I prayed really hard and the other guy didn't pray hard. I don't think it works that way. Um, that would make prayer, prayer a competition, a free-for-all. Um, I don't know if you, you ever saw the film Bruce Almighty. Uh, it's a great film. Uh, in, in the film, uh, uh, someone who is playing the part of God uh, gives this guy called Bruce all of God's powers for one week to do whatever he thinks needs to be done because he's still fed up with this guy whinging basically. Uh, and so one of the things Bruce has to do is he has to, he has to answer prayers. Okay, so he has to answer prayers. So he, 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 he wonders how he's going to do this. So because it's the modern age, he decides he's going to set them up in an email system. So he, say, he says it, says it where all the prayers come in as emails to his inbox. So he sets them downloading, like you do, and they come in, and it finishes downloading, and there's, there's 1,527,503 prayers in his inbox that he has to answer. And I did look that number up, just in case you were wondering whether I'd remembered it. Um, that sounds a bit light to me, but anyway, there you go. And so, and so he starts answering the prayers, and he's answering them, and he's getting faster and faster, and he's answering the prayers, and I he's going, and his hands start blurring, you know, because he's got godlike powers, so he can go as fast as he wants. And he says, okay, well, that must have made some kind of dint in it. Let's see, let's see what it is now. And he hits download again. And the number goes up to three million prayers or something like that that he's now got to answer. So he says, well, forget this. And he just goes, yes, to all. And they all go. And then what happens? Chaos happens afterwards. I can't remember the number now. Some, some stupidly large number of people all win the lottery. Yeah, so they, they all win the lottery together. And, and like it starts... The weather systems go crazy because different parts of weather are happening in different places and all, and all kinds of weird stuff, stuff happens. Um, and it would be like that. If we would be able to persuade God in that way, all kinds of weird things would be happening in this way. No. God grants prayers according to his will. Okay, in accordance to what he has said. So... So, ideally then, if we're not persuading God, what, what we're doing is we're, we're praying God's thoughts, his will, back to him. Okay? That's why it says, your will be done at the end of the, the, in, in the Lord's Prayer. Yeah? You know, it's a prayer that will always be answered. Yes, God's will will always be done on earth as it is in, in heaven. Does he need us to be involved in that? No. 
but it pleases him. It gives him great pleasure. He knows it's good for us if we take part in his purposes by praying back to him what he wants, what is going to be done. It pleases him to use his adopted children in that way. He knows it's going to encourage us. He knows it's going to help us to see, uh, to see him in a better light. Uh, because God will always answer our prayers. He always answers prayers. The problem is that sometimes the answer is no. Or, or sometimes yes, but not yet. And sometimes yes, but he, he always answers prayers. Um, can you imagine how it would be if, if we could change God's mind? You know, we pray to God because one of our children has Kawasaki syndrome and uh, God cures them and, and we say, yeah, well, the reason why, why uh, you know, God healed my child because I prayed really hard. I mean, I really prayed hard and we can start to boast about what we've done. We can start to take some of the credit for what we have done. No, it's all down to the king of the universe. That's not because we've got some secret kind of hotline to God. Now again, let me be very, 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 very clear with you. That does not mean suddenly we only need to start praying stuff from the Bible or say, okay, I I need to figure out what God's will is. No, no, no. We need to pray for big stuff and small stuff and things that affect us and things that we're worried about and things that are on on, uh, our hearts uh, many of those things are good things that are in line with God's will. There is no problem with that at all. Do not stop that. There is plenty of people being healed in the Bible. There is plenty of people being saved in the Bible. Plenty of broken relationships being cured in the Bible. Plenty, plenty of mourning and sin and trouble. All those kind of things are in Scripture. There is nothing the matter with praying for these things. Okay. What I'm saying is that uh, the way in which prayer works is not always what we think. Um, so, and I mentioned there praying big prayers pray, pray big prayers as well as small prayers don't be, don't be worried about uh, whether God is big enough to sort out something that we're, we're praying for um, some of the things Paul is praying for here are pretty, pretty big uh, he's the God of the universe Okay, he's quite capable of doing very big things do not uh, hesitate. He delights to do good things, things that bless us. I thank God for a guy called Philip Pedley who taught myself and Denise that lesson in a really good and important way. I won't stay share the story now, ask us about it afterwards. Uh, he was a good brother and he taught us that lesson really well. Uh, and it's a good story. Have I got time? Oh, I will do the story very quickly. So, so uh, myself and Denise, as some of you will know, used to live in the Caribbean and uh, the part of the Caribbean we lived in, no disrespect to people, where it was not necessarily the most, the most beautiful part of the Caribbean. Okay, and we were being very greedy. So we were saying, you know, it would be really nice, God, if we could uh, live just for a little while in a different part of the Caribbean, which was perhaps had like the hills that you see on the travel brochures, you know, and the, the little boats. And because, because of a sermon about pray, big prayers, we're actually really specific and saying, okay, God, it'd be really nice if we could live for a, for a few weeks in a part of the Caribbean which had like nice green hills, little boats in a harbour, everything like that. And about three months later, uh, out of the blue, we got the opportunity to live for a few weeks in the British Virgin Islands, which looks exactly like that. How bizarre, how crazy is that? God likes to grant big, specific prayers 
Do not hold back in doing that. And don't all mug me afterwards because you're jealous. Um, uh, something else Paul does is that he prays for people very specifically uh, and he then lets them know what he's been praying for them. So if you think about this here, Paul is saying to the people in Ephesus, I've prayed these things for you and I hope that encourages you. And I believe that it does. I think that when we let people know that we have prayed for them, some of the things specifically we've prayed for them, that's very encouraging to people. Um, I think that whether those are uh, prayers of thanks, you know, I prayed this morning because I was thanking God for you and everything you've, you did at Carol's in the barn and that was great, or whatever it would be, or uh, requests, you know, I know you've got an operation up, so I just let you know we've been praying for that. Um, I think that that is a very encouraging thing for someone to, to hear, especially if it's specific in that way. Um, we'll talk a bit more about that uh, next week uh, I can remember telling a guy who was not a Christian at all who was in a, an important position in, in local government who I knew, I said oh yeah we prayed for you on Sunday in church he was like did you? I was like yeah yeah we, yeah, we prayed on Sunday you know you've got an important position you know, and we were, we're praying because you've got a lot of responsibility and we're praying for wisdom and that sort of stuff he's like oh uh, well, uh, oh, thank you. Uh, or maybe I should come to your, your church one time. Oh, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah. Anytime you'd like to. He blew his socks off the idea that someone had prayed for him very specifically. Yeah. Um, we can also pray for uh, spiritual things. Um, Yes, it's very good to pray for very practical things. Jesus taught us to pray, pray uh, give us our daily bread, and that, that, is, that is good and great. Um, but also sometimes to be praying for spiritual things, like Paul does here, to be praying for people's, for wisdom for people, for revelation for, for them, for, for thanking God for them in the way that Paul does here. Uh, lifting our eyes up from the day to day to something more spiritual and um, that we might know God more, as I was saying, that we might experience God better. Um, lastly, just want to point out to you how, how earnest Paul was with his, with his captivating prayer. I've not stopped giving thanks for you. I keep asking you, those are the two phrases we talked about earlier, there's a, there's a certain uh, persistence, there's a, there's a there's a frequency, there's a, there's a, there's a wrestling with, with our own hearts. There's a, there's a Paul talks in, in Romans about uh, groaning in our own hearts as we're, as, we're, as we're struggling to get out what we're praying for. Uh, you know, yes, we, we, we adore God when, when we, we pray and worship and we, we, we genuinely confess, confess our sins, not in a very... Uh, routine way you know but in a, in a way that's like you know yes Lord I've done this today and, and you know I know how yeah how much that must have disappointed you I mean, you're praying with uh, with with uh, some fervor and earnestness when we, when we pray not just a very very uh, sort of uh, routine 
the routine sort of way as we pray. Um, well, we've got much to talk, much to talk about uh, in in prayer uh, over the, the next couple of weeks. Uh, so do please come out for the next couple of weeks. Uh, finally, though, just want you to um, consider for a moment the Lord's Prayer. We call it the, the Lord's Prayer. You, you guys will know this uh, by heart, many of you, I'm sure. As, we, as you just think about what's in the Lord's Prayer for a moment, just think about how, how that might reflect some of what we've talked about today. Uh, how, how it talks about the theology that's in it. Think about the worship of God, hallowed be your name, holy is your name. Think about, about the idea of, of confessing our sin, forgive us our, our trespasses. Uh, making requests, as we were saying, give us this day our daily bread, or, or lead us not into temptation. Think about the, 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 you know, the God's will. We think about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Or thine is the power and the glory. Paul was talking here about God's power, wasn't he? When he, when he raised Christ from the dead. Can you see how much, how much theology is packed into to the Lord's Prayer? Can you see how how it's trying to line our hearts up with, with God's heart where, where he is. And, and see how, as I was saying, that, that, that vital phrase in there, thy will be done, that God's will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you're thinking about your prayer life this week, when you're thinking about uh, how you go about uh, praying to God, think about some of the things we've talked about this week. Take away the little handout with you uh, and... Um, so you can use it as a reminder, stick it on your fridge or whatever. Uh, and next week we're going to be talking about personal prayer, how we pray as, as individuals. And the week after we're going to be talking about corporate prayer, how we pray as a church and how we pray in groups as, as Christians. But let me pray for us now.